at the end of his ministry on earth, Jesus gives his disciples what's now called the Great Commission. He didn't leave them without a responsibility or without a task. He didn't say, good luck, I'll see you later. He says, go and make disciples, meaning followers. Go into all nations, every tribe, every country, every corner of the world, by baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Telling people to go somewhere is second nature for God. God tells Abraham to go to the land I will show you. God tells Joshua to arise, cross the river to the land I'm giving to you. God tells Moses, leave Egypt and go to Mount Sinai to worship me. When I was doing research for how many times go appears in the Bible, I was using this uh, study tool, and I typed in go, I pressed enter, and the tool said back to me, your search only contains words that are very common. In other words, go is all over the Bible. God is constantly telling people, get up. Move your feet. Stop being where you are. Go to where I want you to be. I mean, think about how much of the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it, is people just moving. Abraham moving from Ur to Canaan. Joseph moving from Canaan to Egypt. Israel moving from Egypt back to Canaan. And Jesus comes along and continues that tradition of God saying, Get up and go. And I don't know about you, but I, I think I spend a lot of my time staying put. I just moved here in September. I don't want to move from Austin. I want to be here for a long time. I started working for this church in September. I don't want to go anywhere. I like the restaurants that I already uh, go to way too much. I already have my habits and my routines, and I don't want to give any of those up. I want to stay put. And I bet that there are some very adventurous exceptions in here, but I bet many of us like being where we are. We love being at this church. We've been to this church and been coming to this church for a very long time. We've lived in this city before there was traffic. We love staying put. But God keeps saying over and over and over again to his people, go. And the question we have to ask ourselves if we're going to be honest with that command is, are we ignoring it? Are we excusing ourselves? Maybe that command to go is for other people. You know, I'm just an average Christian. Jesus wants unique and special Christians to go somewhere. Or maybe you have young kids. Maybe you have teens going to college. Jesus couldn't really expect you in your situation to go somewhere he wants you to be, right? If you're not a Christian, you, you may also be fine staying put. I don't want to go anywhere God tells me to go unless I already want to. But here's the thing. If you are interested in following Jesus, that word follow is really important. He doesn't really want bystanders. He doesn't want spectators from a, dis from a distance. He wants people to be his apprentices who follow in his footsteps. 
And today we're going to explore this passage and move through the verses together because you need to know where you need to go, where God wants you to go. And we're using this passage because the very first words that Philip, a follower of Jesus, hears are get up and go. So if you have uh, your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or on a phone, we actually have black Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. And we're, we'll, we'll be starting on page 955. 955. Uh, we're starting in the New Testament. And we're talking about a follower of Jesus named Philip. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Already, this is a very strange command. Because this land, as Luke tells us, the author of this, of this book called Acts, Luke tells us it's a deserted road. Why would the angel want him to go to a specific road, to a specific place, if no one's going to be there? And even if you look back at the passage, it says, toward the south. That actually, uh, in some translations, means at noon. So at the hottest time of the day, I want you to go to a deserted road where you should expect to see no one. Unless God actually has a plan for who he's going to meet. Look at verse 27. It says, And Philip rose and went, and behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a minister of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of all of her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning from Jerusalem, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, you may think all of that information kind of sounds superfluous. Why would any of us need to know all of this information about the guy in the chariot? The whole, that whole verse is all about showing you how Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch are different. Philip and this man share very little in common. I'm going to call the Ethiopian eunuch Eric because they don't name him, and it's going to be so frustrating saying that over and over again. So Eric the Ethiopian eunuch, we all agree that that's how I'm going to talk about him, okay? Philip and Eric are very different men. First of all, Philip is a Jew, and Eric is from Ethiopia. He is from Africa. That word Ethiopian, the, the way it's literally translated, is burnt face. This was a derogatory term used for dark-skinned Africans. Okay, already we have a, a, a difference of nationality. Also, there's no reason to believe that Philip has any social standing. And, this, and Eric is a big deal. He is a servant of a queen of a country in Africa. He is in charge of all of her treasury. They could not be more different. When Philip sees that chariot, he knows whoever is sitting in it is a big deal. And finally, and this, is, this difference is important, Eric is a eunuch. Queens and kings would do this to their male servants just so that they wouldn't start families and be motivated to leave the service of the king or queen, which means that, that Philip, Philip is a Jew, and this Ethiopian eunuch, Eric, can never fully be a Jew. 
because of what his queen did to him. But this is so important. Despite all the differences between these two men, there is one source of common ground, and that is God. This Ethiopian eunuch, Eric, is a, what, what, what Jews called at the time a God-fearer. He actually, despite not being a Jew, he would still go to Jerusalem and worship God alongside other Jews. And with just that tiny sliver of common ground, what does the Holy Spirit say? Look at verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go up and join that chariot. I love that the Holy Spirit says nothing else. There's no blueprint. There's no step-by-step. Here's how you're going to convert him to Christianity. All All you have to know is go and stand near that chariot. That's all the Holy Spirit says. Despite all these differences between these two guys that Philip is going to find out, they have one sliver of common ground, and that's God. And the Holy Spirit says, go up to that chariot. And Philip actually obeys. Look at verse 30. It says, Philip ran up to the chariot, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Eric said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. This is from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. As a sheep led to the slaughter, or a lamb before its shearer is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, meaning his descendants? For his life is taken up from the earth. And look at the verse 34. You have to see verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? You can tell that he thinks this passage is about him. Right? Look at, look at the words from Isaiah. As a sheep led to the slaughter, a lamb before its shearer, his humiliation, justice was denied him. You can imagine this person who's committed to the service of the queen, who is castrated by his own queen and made a eunuch not of his own will. You could imagine that this passage seems relevant to him. And he wants to know, who is this about? Because it sure seems like me. It seems like my situation. One of the verses says, who can describe his generation or his descendants? You can imagine a man who will never be able to have children wondering if this is about him. But look at how Philip responds. Look in verse 35. It says, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. This passage is about Jesus. It's about someone else. And and Eric and Jesus actually have a lot in common. Because Jesus was a, a celibate man who never had kids. Justice was denied Jesus. They actually have a lot in common. And so Philip starts with, starts with what they have in common and leads him all the way to Christ. 
I love that there's this Bible for kids called the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and, and the subtitle of the book is Every Story Whispers His Name. This is something early Christians believed about the entire Bible. They believed it was all about Jesus. And so, and, and Philip believes that. So he starts right there in Isaiah and moves to Jesus. He says this is all about Jesus. And what's so incredible is that <laughs> this all started with Philip hearing the word go. But I don't, I don't really want to hear the word go. Do you really want to hear that word? Get up from where you are, go to someone who doesn't have much in common with you, go to a place that's unfamiliar or uncomfortable to you? Do you want to hear that word? Because I, I don't. But Philip must have been really good. I mean, the Holy Spirit picked Philip reason, uh, for Philip for a reason. Because look, look down at, uh, at verse 36. It says, as they went along the road, they came to see some water. I love that. That's in a desert. They come to see some water. And the eunuch says, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Philip starts with where Eric is and moves to the gospel. He starts where, where he actually is, not where Philip wants him to be, and moves him all the way to Jesus. And, and so quickly, he wants to get baptized. And the eunuch asks this incredible question, what is preventing me from being baptized? But here's the thing, at the time, you need to know that someone like Eric could have seen a lot of obstacles to baptism. There is one, there's one African-American scholar named Dr. Marcus Jenkins who says that the Greek philosophers associated Ethiopia with humiliation. It was a kind of racist stereotype of Africans. And so you can see that this Ethiopian might, might say, well, be, because of where I'm from, I can't be baptized. Because of who I am, because of my nationality, I can't be baptized. That's a barrier. But what I love about this passage is that the Spirit is fulfilling a bigger plan of God's through this eunuch. Okay, Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, wait, I'm the preacher and I might be getting this verse wrong. Where does he say it? He says it somewhere, just trust me. Uh, he says, oh yeah, it's at the beginning of Acts. He says, in chapter 1, he says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and what? To the ends of the earth. First century geographers thought that the ends of the earth was Ethiopia. God is fulfilling his plan already in Acts chapter 8, what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. There, there are tons of scholars, when you, when you hear them, uh, when you read what they write about Acts chapter 8, they almost move quickly by it and say it's an interesting story, but there's not much to it. No, no, no. This is Christ's plan being fulfilled. The first non-Jewish person to convert in Acts is an African. An African who is an Ethiopian eunuch. This 
is not an accident. This was planned by Christ, by the Spirit. And this is all happening because Philip heard the word go and listened. And I don't know if you know this, but one of the oldest churches on planet Earth is the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. It's older than European churches, it's older than American churches, and it probably traces back to Eric. And it all happened, again, because Philip heard the word go, got up from where he was, and went to where God wanted him to be. I started this whole sermon off with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That is the Great Commission. But right here, you see it fulfilled in a small way, right? Because Philip goes to a man from another nation. He teaches him and he baptizes him. In light of the Great Commission, this is a small commission. And I think we all have to be open to these small commissions of the Spirit. We're not all called to be missionaries, but we are all called to participate in the mission of God. We're not all called to be evangelists or apologists, but we're all called to live according to the good news. Man, I'm going to start preaching here in a second. Whew. This is what we're about if we're not open to God saying, get up and move your feet and go where I tell you, we're not following him. Now that doesn't mean we're sinning because we're in Austin or we've been in this place a long time, but we are missing out if we are not listening to that word, go. All of us, whether you're retired, you're in college, you're single, or you're married, you're working or looking for work, we all have to be open to the small commissions of the Spirit to get up and go over there. Now, Churches of Christ, we have an incredible history of responding well to the Great Commission. We've sent out a lot of missionaries around the world. But now, get this, we have more members in Churches of Christ outside of the U.S. than inside the U.S. More Christian missionaries are coming out of Africa, Latin America, and Asia than are coming out of, the Europe and, of Europe and the U.S. combined. This country, this country, not other countries, this country is now a primary mission field for missionaries from other continents. Let's not pretend that we're the only one going on missions. A lot of people are coming here, which means that all of us all of us need to be open to that word. Go. Now, you got to admit, Philip had some pretty sweet advantages, right? The Ethiopian eunuch already has his Bible open and in his lap. It's pretty amazing. We're not always going to meet people with the Bible open in their lap. But it's so important that Philip starts where they are. He starts where the Ethiopian eunuch is, not where he wants him to be. He starts from where he is and moves all the way to Jesus. What if we took on that challenge in the people in our lives to go to them, to start where they are, and hopefully, with God's help, lead them to Jesus? 
this is something we've got to be open to. We have got to be open to listen to that small but powerful word, go. Apostles, that word used in the New Testament, it means those who are sent. And if we're going to be people who are sent, we have to be open to the Spirit's leading. And when we respond, I hope that there are people out there like Eric who say, here's water. What's preventing me from getting baptized? But that will never happen if we don't listen to the small commissions of the Holy Spirit to go right over there to the people we find in deserted places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Spirit guiding us. We pray that even though we're, we want to establish roots, that we are always open to hearing your charge, your mission, the task you give us to reach out. Help us to never just be comfortable staying put. And help us, even when there's such little common ground, help us to start where people are. Not to start where we want them to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.